Every Christian will see David in heaven, but the reason that we will see David in heaven is not that he was without sin. Most of you know the story of David well. His sins were great and they were many. But the evidence that David belonged to the Lord lay in this, that he could not live with them. Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. I'm David Pick. And Colin, last time we were looking at King Saul, a man who had sin in his life, but he doesn't seem to have been too affected by that. Today we're turning our attention to David, who also had sin in his life, but unlike Saul, he seems to be really bothered by it. Yeah, and the difference between them is that David has a heart after God. He has a new heart. God gave him a new heart. He was, to use the New Testament term, he was regenerated. He was born again, the New Testament phrase. And that's very different from Saul, who was religious. But he was quite comfortable to remain in his sins. Even when the Word of God convicted him, he really didn't change. He he could live with his sins. David, though we know he had many sins from the later story of his life, he couldn't live with it. Why? Because he had a new heart. And that's what the New Testament says, that whoever is born of God cannot continue in sin. And say that we're without sin, because none of us is perfect. And yet, when the Spirit of God convicts us, we can't stay where we are. We have to come to God in repentance. And that's what it looks like to be a Christian. So, for the person who is bothered by the weight of their sin, they're uncomfortable with it. That's a really that's good, sign. good thing. That's a really good sign. What to be bothered about is if you're not bothered. If you have no awareness of sin in your life, if you have no awareness of your need of Jesus Christ, that's a reason to be worried. So, we see that in the uh, first book of Samuel. So please, if you can, join us today in chapter 16 as we begin our new message, A King Provided by God. Here's Pastor Colin. Last week we met uh, the first of these kings, uh, Saul, indeed the first king of Israel. And we met a man who believed in God, a man who got involved in serving God, but a man who at the end of the day in his heart was in continued rebellion against God. What we saw last week was that Saul is a man that none of us wants to be like. He was a disaster to himself, and he was a disaster to everyone who was around him. Saul is a tragic figure in the Bible, and he's there for a reason. Nobody, nobody wants, surely, to be like him. Now, today I want to introduce you to a second king whose name is David. We're going to see that this man was very, very different from Saul. His life is different, and the outcome of his life is different. And in this series, we are going to follow this tale of two kings, and we're going to see the vast difference between them. If I try to boil it down to a nutshell for you, it would be simply this. Here's the difference. Saul was a religious man. David was a regenerated man, a man with a new heart, a man with a new spirit. That is all the difference in the world between the two. No Christian should expect to see Saul in heaven. But every Christian will see David in heaven. And to understand the difference between the two, because Saul was such a religious man and he offered this service to God and all the rest of it, thought so very well of himself was in the company of Samuel. To understand the difference between the two is absolutely critical for our Christian lives and if we have not yet come to know Christ for our eternal destinies. 
Every Christian will see David in heaven, but the reason that we will see David in heaven is not that he was without sin. Most of you know the story of David well. His sins were great and they were many. But the evidence that David belonged to the Lord lay in this, that he could not live with them. Even when on at least one occasion he was able to cover up for a while, he found that he could not live for long at a distance from God because he had a heart for God. That's the difference between the religious person and the regenerated person, as we're going to see today. Some of you might know uh, the name of Alan Redpath, one of my pastor heroes. He served uh, for some years as the pastor of the Moody Church here in Chicago, and then in my home church, Charlotte Chapel in Edinburgh, though it was uh, before the time that I can remember. But I did hear him speaking in later life when I was a teenager, and he made a great impression on me. Alan Redpath was brought up in the north uh, of England, and he played rugby. Now, for those of you who don't know, rugby is like football, except it's without helmets and without the padding. So it's not for the uh, faint-hearted, uh, and it often has a hard-drinking culture and a whole lot else that goes with it. And I will never forget, as a teenager, uh, hearing Alan Redpath give his testimony, and he told of how um, in early adult life he had come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then after a while being a Christian, he said, I returned to my old sins. I went back to my old ways. And he said, when I was back in my old ways, I knew that I was a Christian at that time. And he said, here's why. I knew that I was a Christian because when I went back to my old ways, I was absolutely miserable. Never forget him saying it. What had brought him pleasure before no longer yielded for him what it had promised. And he said, I was miserable. Why was he miserable? Because he knew that he was grieving the Spirit. He said, in the end, I had to come back to Christ. That was how I knew I was a Christian. That was how I knew I was really a Christian. I could not continue in sin, whereas it had been quite easy and quite enjoyable before. Now listen to how the Apostle John describes our relationship with Jesus. Here you have Saul and David in a nutshell. From 1 John chapter 3 and verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And then John says it the other way around. Uh, he says about another person, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Now, that I say, you have David first and then Saul second in a nutshell. David abides in him. And though he sins, he cannot keep on sinning. He comes back to repentance. Why? Because the Spirit of God lives within him. That's the evidence that he really is a believer, that he truly knows God. What about Saul? No, Saul just keeps on sinning. And so gives evidence that he has neither seen God nor has he truly known him, though he was, of course, a very religious man. I knew I was a Christian, says Redpath, because I could not keep on sinning. 
And when I went back to my old ways, I knew I couldn't stay there. I knew that I didn't belong there. I knew that I was a new creation. It just became so obvious to me. I had to come back. That was the evidence that the work of grace in my life was real. When I sinned, I was miserable. Now, David is not in heaven today because he was without sin. David is in heaven today because he looked with faith and he looked with repentance to his greater son, who we know as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so here is the great difference in a nutshell between Saul and David, the uh, difference that set their lives on different paths, the difference that set their eternities in different places. Uh, Saul was a religious man. And David was a regenerated man. And today, we are going to see the difference. You've been listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and a message called A King Provided by God, part of our series about the life of David. Whether you found this program online or on the radio, it's only possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. If you're able to set up a regular gift of £5 per month or more, we'd like to send you a copy of the book You Can Trust God to Write Your Story by Nancy and Robert Walgamuth, with an introduction written by Joni Erickson-Tada. You can find out details of this offer or give online at our website, openthebible.org.uk. Also on the website, you can download or stream any of the previous messages that you might have missed or would like to hear again. Let's get back to the message now. Here's Pastor Colin. I hope you have the Bible open in front of you then. First Samuel chapter 16 opens with Samuel at an all-time low as he grieves over Saul. Remember, Samuel has loved Saul. He's walked with him. He's prayed with him. He's counseled with him. He supported him. He served him. And now that Saul has been revealed for the empty shell that he was, it is absolutely devastating for Samuel. And he's grieving. You may have had an experience like this. You walked with someone, you trusted someone, you served alongside someone, and then the emptiness of what they said had been revealed to you and how painful it all is. And Samuel has been investing years of his life. The later years of his life are all about the establishing of the monarchy. He's poured himself into into Saul for years. And now Saul's been rejected by God. And it must have seemed to Samuel, well, now all my work, everything that I've invested in, all that I've poured myself into, it all now seems to be for nothing. All these sacrifices, all this work, all this investment, what was it all about? Some of you know the devastation of that kind of an experience. Samuel grieved over Saul. You you give your heart, and then you give years of your life in a relationship, and then it turns sour. You pour your life into a son or into a daughter, and and then they turn against you and, and don't want to know you, and you say, what was all that about? You build up a business, you build up a ministry, then someone else comes in, they take it in an entirely different direction, a completely different set of values, and and you grieve over what you built, and, and now what seems to be 
lost. Samuel is grieving over Saul. He's consumed with sadness and disappointment. And in the chapter we looked at last time, anger is spoken of as well. And over and over, Samuel must have gone with all these questions that come to mind in a situation like this. You know what it is like, don't you? I know what this is like. What could I have done? What might I have said? Where may there have been some contribution that I could have made that would have led to a different outcome in the life of this person? Where did it all go wrong? And Samuel now has no energy. He's just consumed with grief, and he's at an all-time low. And then God speaks to him, as perhaps God will speak to you today. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Now fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king from among his sons. And we follow this fascinating story. Samuel, of course, is immediately afraid. If he's to anoint someone else as king, he's likely to set off a civil war, isn't he? And Saul, for sure, is going to be after his life. And so it becomes clear that God is sending Samuel, not on a public, but on a secret mission. David is anointed. The oil is poured over his head. But at no point does Samuel say what David is anointed for. This is very fascinating. From the moment that Samuel arrives in Bethlehem to the moment that he leaves, he never once uses the word king. Which raises the question, did David know? This oil is poured over David's head. Does David, he knows that he's being set apart in some way for some special purpose for God. But oil was used for the consecration of priests. That was what it was most used for in the earlier part of the Old Testament. Only once had it ever been used for a king because there only had been one king and he was still on the throne there. There was no vacancy. My guess is that David did not know and that only gradually did he become aware in the ensuing months and years what God's purpose was for him. God is preparing him in private for what one day will be revealed in public. So Samuel arrives in Bethlehem, and he says, now I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. You notice in verse 4, the people of Bethlehem are immediately afraid. Has he come to judge us? I mean, he is a judge. Has he come to judge us for some uh, sin in the town? No, says Samuel, I've come in peace. I have come to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. And so Samuel offers the sacrifice, and then he convenes this great feast that follows, and he invites this man, Jesse, and his sons to join him in the feast. And the first son to be presented to Samuel in verse 6 is this man Eliab, who was obviously very impressive. When they came, verse 6, he looked on Eliab, and Samuel thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord, and here's a hugely important statement, the Lord sees not as man sees. 
Man looks on the outward appearance, verse 7, but God looks on the heart. Folks, here is something of huge importance with regards to what you should look for in people you walk with, in people you commit to, and in people to whom you give your trust. What are the criteria that you use in evaluating the trustworthiness of other people? It's easy, you see, to be impressed and taken in by the charisma, the sheer impressiveness of the kind of person who sucks all the air out the room just when they come into an occasion. You know that kind of person? Eliab was like that. This guy, folks, was a rock star. That's how I'm going to put it. Uh, Dale Ralph Davis says perhaps he had starred as wide receiver for the Bethlehem High School football team. Maybe he would have made the Judean all-stars. That was Eliab. I mean, he was just so impressive. Now, to be fair to rock stars and to be fair to wide receivers, Appearance, personality, and style neither qualify nor disqualify a person from usefulness to God. So, for example, in verse 12, we're told that David had beautiful eyes and that he was handsome. Uh, That would have made an impression on people, but that was not what made him useful to God. The same was true, of course, of Saul, who was head and shoulders about other people. You can check that out in 1 Samuel in chapter 9. No, external appearance, uh, charisma, charm, impressiveness, big personality, that, that neither qualifies nor does it disqualify a person for usefulness to God. Why? Because that's not what God is looking at. What is God looking at? He's looking on the heart, on the heart. When it comes to choosing spiritual leaders, and you know, I think the principle here can be applied to other relationships of trust and of walking together and of commitment. Dale Ralph Davis has this point. He says, what we seem to want are the movers, the shakers, the aggressive extroverts, the pushers who meet people well and who sell the church in the community and are smooth in the pulpit. But do we ever ask, how does he pray? Does he enjoy being with his wife? Can he weep? Well, there's spiritual discernment there, isn't there? And in a celebrity culture, we desperately need it or we will trust the wrong people. God looks on the heart. He looks on your heart. He looks on mine. He looks on all of our hearts. And for all Eliab's impressiveness, for all his resume, for all his achievements, God passes him by. Why? Because he does not have a heart for God. And so uh, the other sons are introduced one by one, seven of them in all, and each time the Lord tells the prophet Samuel, not this one, no, not this one, no. Get to the end of the line, and Samuel says to Jesse, verse 11, are all your sons here? And Jesse says, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping 
the sheep. There's a whole world of Jesse's view of David in that little statement. Spurgeon has this comment. It is painful, he says, to notice that David's father has no idea of David's excellence. Think about that. Jesse calls him the least. And says Spurgeon, there is something more implied here than his being the youngest. He was the least in the estimation of his ill-judging father. Here is David, the guy who does not get the invitation when his brothers are invited to a feast. He is not highly regarded by his own father, who sees nothing of particular importance in him or value in him, but is ready to parade all the brothers and yet to leave the youngest out there with the sheep. He has, Spurgeon says, a narrow share of his father's affection. And some of you may know what that is like. As far as Jesse was concerned, the other boys would be something. But David, he'll never amount to much. Man looks on the outward appearance. But friends, here's the good news. God looks on the heart. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. And we're going to pause our message there. It's called A King Provided by God. And what a great reminder that in the superficial world we live in, a person's outside appearance really doesn't matter. What God cares about is the condition of our heart. This message is part of a larger series in which we're looking at the life of David. And you can hear any of the previous broadcasts in the series by going to our website, openthebible.org.uk. Also on the website, you'll find Open the Bible Daily. These are a series of short reflections, just two to three minutes long, written by Colin Smith and read by Sue McLeish. Sue, how did you first come across Colin Smith's devotionals? Well, I was widowed a decade ago, found myself feeling very lost and empty. And one of my sons encouraged me to listen to some sermons online, and I came across Pastor Colin Smith. I found myself listening more and more as God used Colin's Bible teaching to awaken something within me in that difficult time. And I've followed and enjoyed and learnt from Colin's resources ever since. You can find Open the Bible Daily by going to our website, openthebible.org.uk. Click on the menu item Resources and then Open the Bible Daily. Open the Bible is supported by our listeners and we want to thank you. If you'd like to set up a regular donation to Open the Bible of £5 per month or more, we would love to send you a copy of a book, You Can Trust God With Your Story, Embracing the Mysteries of Providence. And Colin, I know this was written by your longtime friends Nancy de Moss Walgamuth and Robert Walgamuth. Yes, indeed. Uh, Nancy has long been a friend of Karen and myself as her her husband, uh, Robert. And I'm absolutely delighted to be able to offer this book that they've collaborated on together. Nancy is a wonderful and insightful Bible teacher. And Robert is a wonderful writer as well. And in this collaboration, they've brought together a collection of stories from the Bible and also a collection of stories 
from Christian experience. And what these two together do is they draw out how God works in the lives of his children, especially in things we don't understand. It's a wonderfully helpful book for anyone who's saying, what is God doing in my life? What is God doing in the world? It deals with God's providence, and it reminds us that God is the one who writes the story of his children's lives. Find out more, including how to give online at openthebible.org.uk. If you've been blessed by today's message, or if you have any comments or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at openthebible.org.uk. For Colin Smith and Open the Bible, I'm David Pick, and I hope you'll join us again next time. Open the Bible is supported by our listeners. For details, go to openthebible.org.uk. What makes a person an outstanding servant of God? Find out next time on Open the Bible.